let's talk about digital identity, the podcast connecting identity and business. I am your host, Oscar Santolaya. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity in this new year, 2022. And we have, after some time, again, our friends of the Open Identity Exchange. And today our guest is Nick Mothershaw. He is a chief identity strategist at the Open Identity Exchange, a community for all those involved in the identity sector to connect and collaborate. Nick has expert knowledge of identity and fraud techniques, solutions and standards across a wide variety of different sectors and jurisdictions. Nick was previously director of identity and fraud at Experian, where he was responsible for the development of Experian's fraud and identity solutions for both the public and private sectors. Nick led Experian's development, launch, and operation of a full identity service solution, which was the first live example of a digital identity being seamlessly interoperable across public and private sector. Hello, Nick. Hello, Oscar. Hello. Welcome. It's great having you, Nick. It's brilliant to be here and yeah, happy new year to you and all your listeners. Very exciting to be at the start of 2022, which I think is going to be an amazing and transformational year for digital identity. So I think this is a really timely conversation. Yeah, and I know you have a new new things to tell us. So yeah, Nick, let's talk about digital identity. I'd like to start hearing a bit more about yourself. So please tell us about your journey to the world of digital identity. Yeah, it's a bit of a long journey now. So I was originally involved in I guess identity, when I, I worked with uh, law enforcement, providing crime management and intelligence management systems. And, and out of that, we started looking at biometrics. So around the year 2000, we were using biometrics to help identify criminals from group photographs and also using facial mapping to look at. We used to see these e-kits, these you know, faces that were being drawn by computer that we put out on things like you know, crime watch programs. So we're using facial biometrics to match those to databases of known and, and suspected criminals. And that was kind of way back in 2000. So from there, I, I moved to looking more in detail at fraud and around identity fraud specifically and how can identity fraud be detected and prevented. So using algorithms, anomaly detection, uh, graph-based analysis to find identity fraud in the finance ecosystem initially and then into insurance and telcos. And the flip side of that is, of course, identity. So if you strongly identify the individual, the risk of fraud is reduced. So this fraud and identity became two sides of the same coin. And as we built a business experience around fraud and identity, we both evolved the fraud solutions to be more and more sophisticated, but also involved the identity side of the coin to leverage data that approved the individual's identity, to scan documents, to bring those together into complete identity as a service management. So around 2015, we built an identity as a service platform, and that enabled us to identify end users, both of experienced systems and in the UK gov.uk verify users so we were able to take users through a proofing process using data using passports and driving licenses using getting payments into open banking log on with pins on and that enabled us to strongly proof an individual and alongside that we ran all the fraud controls we created as well so we mitigated against identity fraud to create a really strongly trusted id there was a reusable id 
and users could use that identity to both log on to experience credit management systems, credit reference systems, and also in the UK, log on to government systems through the gov.uk verify framework. So we were the only identity provider who did that, who had a both a public private interoperable login for users, which meant I only had to have one password, only one set of credentials to access multiple different services at a high level of trust. So we were really proud that we built that and yeah, that was delivered into UK Verify. As part of that, I got involved in the Open Identity Exchange. So I was vice chair for a while and then became chair. And then just over two years ago now, I decided I wanted to spend all of my time driving forward this vision of digital identity so that we could all have a digital ID that is trusted, that is accepted ubiquitously, and that our lives, our digital lives are made so much easier because the, our trusted information is available, it's controlled by us, and it's shareable by us to those who need to, to understand who we are and what we're eligible to do for different use cases, different services all over the world. I really strongly believe in that vision and you know, joined OAX as Chief Identity Strategist, so just over two years ago now, to help OAX as a member's body, to help its members collectively pursue and achieve that vision. Yeah, fantastic. The experience you had in Experian, that sounds quite exciting, what you were doing there. And also now I can hear your motivation to work here in OAX. Excellent. So as I mentioned earlier, we had before around a bit more than two years ago, we had in this podcast show. At that time, it was Don Thibault representing the OIX. And he was talking about the need for a global approach to identity. And he also has mentioned a little bit of that. But something that came to, I think, everybody who is involved in the data identity space in the last month has been the Gain White Paper. And we know that both OIX and I think also yourself have been involved on that. So could you tell us a bit about that? What is the OIX role within Gain? Yeah, absolutely. So again, the Global Assured Identity Network was a white paper that was released back in September and it was created over the summer. Uh, in the end, over 150 different authors put their names to that paper. And the, the vision was that lots of people shared the vision I've just articulated, this vision that an identity can be used in an interoperable way and that will work internationally. So 150 plus people all sharing that vision put their name to that paper. The paper was collectively created. Fortunately, a few people held the pen, not 150, else we'd have never have got, we'd never have got anything coherent out. We managed to create a collective paper that had the backing of 154 people, I think it was, in the end, that all shared that same vision. And that vision is that an ID can be accepted anywhere around the globe. That's a massively ambitious statement. And to do that, the gain term was coined, the Global Assured Identity Network. To make that possible, there needs to be some kind of network on a global basis, and that that work enables trust. So there's a number of different elements of gain. So as we, we release the paper, and then five organizations have kind of rallied around that vision and are taking different parts in delivering it. So firstly, on the technical side, the Open Identity Foundation, the foundation is looking at, okay, how does that vision achieve technically? How can we communicate trust from one domain to another, from one framework to another? from one country to another. And they're looking at the kind of technical rails of how that makes possible. OIX is looking at the legal, the operational, the governance elements that would sit above that technical layer. And arguably, and my other colleagues on okay to say that, that this is true, that's, that's the harder bit. 
So we can communicate some information about an individual, but what does that information mean? And I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. And that's one of the key challenges OAX is looking at. The other organisations involved in it are GLIFE, Global Legal Identity Foundation. So wherever we've got a legal actor in here, an organisation, GLIFE have a role to play in identifying who that organisation is, both in terms of parties providing information, but also consuming information and being the identity asserters themselves, where it's an organisational ID. Got the Cloud Signature Consortium because this links closely into digital signing, digital signatures. Because once we know who the user is, we want to legally enter into a relationship with them in many use cases. And then the International Institute of Finance is looking at how, across the finance community, how can that community both be involved as consumers of identities, because finance is a key area where you need to prove who you are, but also providers of identities in many countries already in the nordics in canada we've got banks playing the role of identity providers and that's likely to happen in a lot of other countries so iif are playing that dual role of representing a densely consuming community and providing community so there's five organizations that now come together to drive game forward and so oax's focus area is the because we term it the trust framework element so let's imagine that i can communicate information about an individual so the individual has a Belgian ID, for instance, and they're trying to assert their identity in Indonesia. So I can tell the, the relying party in Indonesia who the person is. I can give them the name, the address, the date of birth, a national ID number, maybe to identify who they are, which is relevant in Belgium, but means nothing in Indonesia. I can tell the identity provider is that has provided that information. I can tell them the standard to which the identity was proofed, which might be EIDAS substantial, for instance. And I can tell them the framework that I was doing. It was done in EIDAS. So I can give a lot, I can communicate all of that information pretty simply in a technical package of data. But the key question is, what does all that mean? So can this relying party, let's say it's a bank in Indonesia, trust a Belgian ID? The Belgian ID is issued under this thing called EIDAS and has a level of assurance substantial. What does that mean? And how does that map into any Indonesian trust framework and rules that that relying party is subject to? How does it map into any finance rules they have that are applicable for anti-money laundering? So they can only accept that idea if they know a lot more about the framework that is behind the information. And that's OAX's role to work out how do we explain that information about each frameworks and how do we assess framework interoperability? Because what we're really looking at there is the Belgian ID is operating under a framework. There's a framework in Indonesia that dictates how ID needs to be assessed, managed, scored, levels of assurance assessments in Indonesia. Are those two things compatible? So can that Indonesian relying party accept a Belgian issued identity? To do that, we think we need some kind of global interoperability framework. So we can take those two different frameworks in two different jurisdictions and assess where they align, where they differ, and where they do differ, work out what those differences are and work how those differences can be mitigated. And is that by further alignment, by step up, by legal agreements? And to do that, we think we need a global interoperability framework, a meta framework, a framework of frameworks to compare frameworks to. So one of the things we're going to be working on in our new global interoperability working group, which is kicking off on the 31st of January, is exploring precisely that question. How do we get two frameworks to interoperate? And that leads to the question of how do we get many frameworks to interoperate, which is why we think we need this global interoperability, this meta framework that sits across the top to make this happen. And on top of that, we'll be exploring how might that be governed. So how might that be done in a way that is independent? A lot of these frameworks will be government driven. 
So enables government to government frameworks to communicate and strike agreements internationally with each other without having to have lots of bilateral agreements from government to government, because that will take forever. That would be like doing trade agreements with every single country bilaterally. That doesn't work. People do trade agreements in blocks. We need to leap beyond that with identity to do identity trust agreements on a global basis. Let's get this right first time around. Yeah, yeah, I can see. It's a really good example you gave with the two quite distant countries, Belgium and Indonesia, for example. And I got the idea that okay, in, in different jurisdictions, there are trust frameworks, but what is needed, the missing piece is that global interoperable trust framework. And that is the, that is the piece that your team at the OAX is working right now. And both as part of the game, the implementation of the game, but also I think this global interoperable trust framework is meant to be used also anywhere can be used, correct? Oh, absolutely, yes, yes. So this is so we already have a, a framework which is intended for as a global guide to frameworks at the moment. So you can come along to the OAX website, www.ox, sorry, www.openidenticschangeinfull.com and on there is our guide to trust frameworks and that details the contents of a trust framework and it's really there as a guide for those who need to understand what a trust framework is, what should be in it, and how to create it. So we, we already have that, and that's been published you know, a couple of years. That built on the work we've done over the last 10 years around defining what a trust framework is. So that's out there. We're about to update that with a 2022 version, which I'll talk about in a moment. So the work we're doing with GAIN is really taking that framework model we've got and then using that to reason about how frameworks can interoperate. And from that, we expect to distill that there are key elements of a framework that are required for interoperability. And that's where the term global interoperability framework is starting to come from. A lot of the things in our guide, they're all important. But when you ask the interoperability question, cross framework, some are more important than others. And that's the work we're about to do with the GAIN initiative to make that assessment. Whatever conclusions we reach there, Again, including our name, the Open Identity Exchange will be publishing our findings in an open way and that framework would be able to be used by GAIN and the others that are looking to achieve the same objectives. Our framework, though, our new framework that's coming out, the Trust Framework 2022, is massive evolution from the one that was previously published. One of the things we've done is taken a look at the way the market's moved over the past five years, really, but in particular since covid and that has emphasized the need for user-centric identity. We've seen a lot of self-sovereign based identities, verifiable credentials being used now to communicate the COVID certificates. We've seen the emergence of mobile driving licenses as a particular credential, a digitized credential that can be gained by the user and put in a wallet and shared with others. So we've moved our framework on to make sure it's fully embracing of user-centric self-sovereign identity. And we've changed some of the terminology. So we've moved to use heavily use the term credential. So we talk about digitized credentials and derived credentials, that the digital identity, which could be a wallet, helps the user manage, you know, gather and manage those credentials and share them with others. So we've, we've kind of taken a bit of a shift in, in our positioning and philosophy, but we, we are remaining technology agnostic in that shift that we've made. The other thing, that we have really baked into that new version of the framework is that we see the digital identity is going to be useful for the user. 
if we just simply collect a set of digitized real world credentials in a digital wallet so if i end up with a with a wallet on my phone that's got my passport and my driving license in it and my covid certificate that's digitized some real world credentials documents and given me them in an electronic form that's a great step forward but what the digital identity needs to do is really help the user in that process of both gathering that information and more importantly collating it to present to relying parties in a way that meets the rules of the relying party so what you'll see in our new trust framework when it comes out is an emphasis on a digital identity being able to understand the rules of the relying parties the organizations that need to consume identity and eligibility information because we class something like covid information as eligibility information and the digital identity can take those rules and then work out does the user have what they need to meet those rules so if it's a question about is the user covid safe what does covid safe mean in this context what is that question that's being asked because covid safe covid secure it means different things depending on who's asking the question if it's a government wanting to let you into the country versus a bar wanting to admit you to have some drinks it's a very different question and everybody's rules are different so the digital identity's got to help the user through that process it's got to accept the request from the airline that's saying well if you're going to board me you've got to be covid safe these are the rules this is what i mean by covid safe i mean you've got to have a vaccine and the vaccine has got to be one of these types and you've got to have had it a complete course of two vaccines and it's going to have been done within the last 14 days and i mean you've got to have a test and that test has got to be completed within the last 2 hours and it's of this type and it's from one of these certified providers so all of those rules complex rules the digital identity needs to help the user through it needs to be intelligent so that it can accept the request from the relying party it can work out well yeah the user's got the vaccine they need that's great but they haven't got the test that they need so they need to go and get a test so where can they go and get that test it needs to help them through that process it's got to be intelligent so we started to hear us talking a lot about intelligent digital identity and that that is the and going to be key to digital identity being a success. What is that intelligence where it relies on the application or so from the user's perspective it needs to look to them as though it's simply their digital identity is doing this for them. Technically where does that sit? There are a number of options. So if I've got a digital identity that's cloud based or wallet based as part of the provision of that digital identity in the cloud or in the wallet that intelligence can be built in. So we're talking there about an intelligent wallet or an intelligent digital identity where it has a rules engine in it. So within our framework now we major on the a rules engine being present that can interpret the rules and can work out how to answer the questions. And that can either be embedded in the wallet or we talk about the concept of a rules agent. So we could have a wallet which is the thing that collects the information and collects derived information and a rules agent who does the intelligent bit. So it's the rules agent who takes the rules around being covid safe, understands those, works out what credentials the user's already got, helps the user get the ones they haven't and then derives the covid safe status as a derived credential and enables the wallet to pass that on to the relying party. So we see it's very much as a either it can all be in one intelligent digital identity or it can be in a digital identity leveraging intelligent rules agents to you know achieve that goal and again the, the new framework paints both of those options as being completely valid and all this is defined in the trust framework that sounds powerful like i say yeah we try to make it as consumable as possible so so ax we've got the section on the guide and we break the framework guide down into sections so it's more easily consumable 
So there's a guide in there ready to what is a digital ID and how does it manage these credentials and gather them? How does it derive credentials like COVID safe from core credentials like vaccines and tests? And then we dive into rules around things like identity assurance. You know, what are the rules around determining a level of assurance for an individual if that is required? And most frameworks work on some kind of level of assurance. You've got low, substantial, high in EIDAS. You've got low, medium, high in the UK. You've got IALs in NIST. So when you get to that level of trust and you kind of pre-canned definitions of levels of trust, it gets quite complicated. So we drill in as a whole section on that around identity assurance and how that is achieved. Below the guide itself are more detailed guides. So we have a separate guide on identity assurance and authentication. We have separate guides on trust marks and how you might create and, and market a trust mark. We have guides on principles as to think key things you should think about when creating principles. We've got another new guide coming out in February on everything that happens when something goes wrong. So from help desk to compensation, how should a digital identity ecosystem deal with those unhappy paths and make sure users have a good experience despite difficulties they may encounter. And we also have a guide to fraud controls as well which enables people creating identity ecosystems to understand. Unfortunately, digital identity will be targeted by fraudsters. It will become a honeypot. We've got to build the right fraud controls Mm -hmm. day one. So the overarching guide is really a, there's 25 different elements of the trust framework. What we're doing is drilling into those 25 elements with more guides. There won't be 25 of them because we we drill into several elements at once in a a single guide, but we're probably about halfway through in writing a full guide to digital identity but the framework itself is complete and contains everything you need to do to create successful and trusted digital identities well sounds sounds really powerful as i said clarify me what is the the ultimate name the official name of this new trust framework uh the official name is um ox trust framework 2022 it's the year is the <laughs> is the new version so yeah it will be launched on as a february the third we are planning a launch event. So if those of you who are OX members or if you just want to follow on the OX website, there'll be a launch event coming up early next week for you to come along and, and hear more about what's in that framework and why we've done it and the intent behind making sure we've got intelligent digital IDs, not just collections of stuff in a wallet. Yeah, absolutely. I ask him because people can easily find it. And also to dig a bit more on the details of the external work you are doing. So who is being created for, who should read this, this work that you are going to release? So it's aimed at multiple audiences and we also distill out from it other information that is relevant to relying parties. So the, the overarching framework guide itself, if you were to want to write a framework from scratch, it contains everything you need to enable you to do that and to understand what needs to be in a trust framework. There's no other kind of global guide that does that that tells you, you know, what is a trust framework and you know, what's in it and how should it be governed. So that enables those creating trust frameworks to create them and evolve them. And you know, what we're hoping with the new version is people who've already got trust frameworks will look at the new version and say, yeah, we need to evolve our existing framework to move towards you know, this provision of intelligent digital ID. It, it enables those creating self-sovereign identities to understand how that identity would fit into a trust framework. And you know, we are 
talking with the Trust Over RP Foundation about a partnership where the work they do and the work OAX do is, is more closely aligned. So hopefully you know, more on that as we move further into 2022. It's designed to explain trust frameworks to identity providers who might need to go and get certified and approved into a trust framework. And we distill from it a version that enables relying parties, organisations who consume trust frameworks to also understand what a digital identity is. However, they need a simpler view of the world. They're they're interested in the bits that are relevant to them. So we have a, a separate guide called Getting Ready for Digital ID that positions what a digital ID is, why it should be intelligent and what a framework does in the context of a relying party. And that was launched back in October and it's available on the website now. So it's, it's designed at kind of multi, I mean, the, the readership it isn't designed for is end users really, but it's relevant to the rest of the ID ecosystem. Yeah, excellent. That concept that you mentioned, the uh, intelligent ID, that definitely intrigued me. I had to go and read that, but at least I need to know more. Sounds, sounds really powerful. And what we're going to use it for now, and this has always been our vision, is going back to what we're doing on game and around global interoperability. So having written it, brought it up to date, republished it, it now gives us the the framework to start assessing global interoperability. And there's already a section in it which talks about key elements for global interoperability. And we're going to build out from that section and drill into the items we've highlighted in there to work out how do we create a framework that specifically enables interoperability. So it enables us to to do that and do that in a way that the terminology is consistent. We've got a, a published benchmark to work from because everyone's, as frameworks have been written over the last, I guess, 10 years, OAX is, is proud to have influenced how a lot of them have been, been written, but it's been evolutionary. So they're all slightly different and they're all slightly different terms or structure things in slightly different ways. If we're going to compare them and make them interoperable, we need something that's standard to do that. And then, so we would use the, the Trust Framework 2022 as that start point. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Anything else that about this Trust Framework that you would like to share that we have not covered? I think there's a couple of things in it that, that are worth drawing out that are new. So it moves through the term credential. It does talk about these two things, digitized credentials and derived credentials. And that's quite new. And we've done a lot of work on this, a lot of thinking about what will those two terms mean. So by digitized credential, we mean a digital version of a real world thing, a passport, a driving license, a, a COVID vaccine, an education certificate. So these are the things that the self-sovereign world has been digitizing and is digitizing. So they become part of a digital identity available in a wallet. We've then got the term derived credential. And what that means is we take digitized credentials and then we derive other things from them. And that might be simply deriving the person's over 18. Um, but we're positioning that as a new credential that's been derived from those other credentials. You might be determining that a person is COVID safe, which was the example earlier. We might be determining a level of assurance for the individual. So is this person EI'd as substantial? And we also position that as a derived credential because it's you need to know what credentials it came from, when it's made up, which evidence was behind it, and how long it lasts. So if you work out someone's over 18, they're always over 18. So that's a long lasting derived credential. If you work out someone's COVID safe, it probably lasts for a few weeks. Exactly. Yeah. If you work out a level of assurance, it probably lasts months or until something occurs that says it's unsafe. So we thought it was important to have this separate type of credential, the derived credential. And it's that those derived credentials are often the things that the relying parties need. And if we're going to do data minimization, it's the derived credential that 
data minimizes the digitized credentials as they're passed on to the relying party. So this construct digitized and derived credentials is quite key. And the other thing to bring out that we've got is a new view on principles. So we've always had a user-centric view on principles in the framework. We talk about the four C's you know, are important for consumers and we frame principles in terms that consumers would understand. And that's always been really useful, but it didn't map to more traditional principles that trust frameworks are built on. So we've now got that mapping. We've got a set of traditional principles like data minimization, privacy, security, a set of user articulations of those principles around things like convenience, control, that enable a user view of the world and a ID ecosystem security ethical view of the world to be mapped together to make sure actually those principles are fulfilling user needs. So that's an expanded section in the document that we've got at the moment. We've also done quite a lot of work on roles. So we recognize the separate role of identity proofing provider, which is a specialist form of rules agent, as we've created that in the trust framework. So all of that's in there and it is explained in the new framework. What we haven't put in, or we did debate quite a bit, was the difference between centralized, decentralized, and where federated fits. So we'll be doing a subsequent piece of work in the trust framework working group to help explain those different terms and positioning to the market. A lot of the questions I get from members, particularly new members, are what's the difference between centralized, decentralized, distributed, and is federated the same as centralized? And it's not. So we've done quite a bit of work on that already. It's not ready for release just yet, but later in the year, we'll be coming out with some views on and hopefully clarity on some of those terms to help the industry to remove some industry confusion because <laughs> there's quite a lot of area at the moment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everything we do is members-driven, member-driven. So the need for clarity there is something our members are saying, yeah, can you please yeah, sort this out and you know, tell us properly what does distributed versus decentralized means, are they the same thing or different? So that's something we're working on at the moment. So that's something to watch out for. And you know, if you want to get involved in OX, you can, you can play a part in a definition of those as well as do the things we're we're working on around global interoperability and, and we have a whole host of other working groups we're just kicking off or continuing into 2022. Excellent. Well, this Trust Framework 2022 sounds super interesting. We'll be following for sure. One more question for you, Nick. For all business leaders listening to us now, what is the one actionable idea that they should write on their agendas today? So if you're a business leader who is a consumer of an identity, a relying party, so if you today run your own identity ecosystem to ID your customers and are looking at moving to digital identity, then I would encourage you to start seriously thinking about getting ready for that now. Our getting ready paper is designed to help you understand just identity is all about, the benefits you'll get as a business and what you should be looking for. And what you should be looking for is an identity that comes from a, a trust framework so that it has all the right rules, procedures, etc around it that you can trust so a key thing we want at ox is to try and help get that market going and help people understand what digital identity is so if you're a business leader in a relying party please do have a look at that document and it'll tell you a lot more about digital identity and what you should be looking for if you're a business leader in the identity community then start thinking intelligence yeah how can you create digital products that work for the user not just user-centric but that work for the user help the user, assist the user, because we're going to be successful. We've got to do that for the user and got to make this easy because we know when things work for users, they get adopted. When they work for 
the relying party, or whether they work for the ID provider, or then they work academically, or they work from a security point of view. If they don't work for the user, that's all pretty academic. Make this work for the user to make it successful. Yes, I could agree more. Well, thanks, thanks a lot for this very interesting conversation and guiding us through the Trust Framework 2022. Please let us know how people can follow the conversation with you or learn more about what OIX is doing. Absolutely. So we've got the launch of that is scheduled for the 3rd of February. So please look out for that on the OIX website. So the OIX website is www.openidentityexchange.org. So please come along to that. There you can find the guide. There you can find out information about becoming a member if you're not already a member and information about the working groups we are looking at at the moment, which I say includes global interoperability. We're taking a fresh look at fraud. We're looking at can we get relying party adoption moving more quickly. So there's a whole host of things we're looking at in 2022, which I'm sure would be of interest. So reach out to me directly. So it's nick.mothershaw at openidentityexchange.org. Perfect. Well, thanks a lot again, Nick, and all the best. Thank you, Oscar. It's a pleasure to talk to you today. And yeah, really excited about what 2022 is going to bring. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk About Digital Identity, produced by UbiSecure. Stay up to date with episode at ubisecure.com slash podcast or join us on Twitter at UbiSecure and use the hashtag LTADI. Until next time, 